and open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 25, beginning with verse 1. That's Isaiah chapter 25, beginning with verse 1. The word of God reads, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For thou hast made of a city in heap, a defense city a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city. It shall never be built. Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee. The city of the terrible nations shall fear thee. For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. Thou shalt bring down the noise of strangers as the heat in a dry place, even the heat with the shadow of a cloud. The branch of the terrible ones shall be brought low. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines of the lees, a feast of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined, and he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death and victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We've waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For in this mountain shall the hand of the Lord rest, and Moab shall be trodden down under him, even as straw is trodden down for the dunghill, and he shall spread forth his hands in the midst of them, as he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim. He shall bring down their pride together with the spoils of their hands, and the fortress of the high fort of thy walls shall he bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground, even to the dust. This is the word of God. Amen. Let's pray over the message. Mm-hmm. Our Heavenly Father, we come before thee, Lord, acknowledging thou art God, and there is no other, Lord. And thou hast set a future ahead of thy people, Lord God, a hope that is unshakable, written and founded in thy perfect, infallible word. And I pray, Lord God, that that truth would bear heavily upon our hearts today to realize that both in this time, looking back at the past, we may rejoice on thy goodness. In our day-to-day, we may rejoice in the goodness of God now in Christ that we have as a possession, and yet look forward to the future, seeing the goodness of God yet to come. For, Lord, thy truth and thy word are unchangeable. They're irrevocable, Lord. And thy purposes and plan for this world are wholly acceptable and perfect. There is no plan B with thee, Lord. But every one of thy purposes is glorious. With what purpose we can all rejoice. Again, I say rejoice in the Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that thy word today would be a cause of rejoicing in each one of our hearts. That thou would be exalted in this place. That each one of us would leave feeling closer to the Lord who redeemed us with his own blood. This we pray in our Redeemer's name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Well, brothers and sisters, it's a blessing to be back here again today. I'm very grateful to be in the midst of all of you. I can't tell you how much it is a blessing to hear your voices and to see your faces and to see the work God's doing in Cloverdale. Very grateful for all of you. And we're praying, again, my wife, myself, and my daughter, we're praying for you all in the next steps to come. This is an exciting time. May God be glorified. Now, I want to talk to you about a situation very similar to ours today in this world, where there is, as we mentioned this morning, a people of God gathered that holy Mount Zion, yet we are surrounded by enemies. We're surrounded by troubles and changes and uncertainty. And indeed, in my personal life, I, I work two jobs. One of them is a managerial job in a cosmetics company. My other job is a naturopathic doctor. And in that position, I have a lot of time in front of people speaking to them, both about their health, but also about spiritual matters and the Lord and why their lives don't seem to be making sense, why they're so anxious, why their anxiety leads them to unhealthy habits. And indeed, most people I speak to, almost everyone without doubt, who isn't a believer, their issue comes down to one core problem, is their life is changing and they can't control it. And to them, it becomes a reason for madness, for fear, for anxiety, because they see a world that's in constant flux, where everything seems to be different than it was the day before, where the circumstances are up and they're down, where troubles come from every side, and it just feels there is no control and there is no hope. And many of us as well, we may struggle with this feeling, given the reality that this life is not easy. It's not straightforward, and things come our way every single day that cause us to worry and cause us to have anxiety, should we let them in the flesh. You know, it's just a reality of life in this world. The world wants you to be anxious, wants you to be concerned and afraid when you see changes. Yet the word of God provides us a certain hope in the midst of trials. A hope that not only allows us to look backwards and to see the goodness God's done, both in his word and in our lives, but in the moment to have hope that Christ will work in our circumstances, every one of them. And indeed, he'll work all things together for good in the future as well. Just to elaborate on this point a bit, you know, this this morning I looked at my daughter. Um, my wife and I, we have a daughter who's turning a year old in less than a week. And I look at her and, oh, sorry, longer than a week. My wife will yell at me if I say that wrong. The 21st is her birthday. It's coming soon. Um, so she's turning a year in a bit. And I look at her. And I just see a reason to rejoice. My wife and I, we glorify God every day for this blessing in our lives. We look back and see how God provided to us. In the face of two miscarriages, up to the point where she was born, we've seen God's goodness and kindness towards us. In her growth, in her life, we see the present reality of God's grace to us. And we look to her future knowing that God is able to save and redeem her soul with joy. And it is God's truth and God's word that gives us the ability to go forward. That no matter what happens to her or what happens to us, there is confidence and strength in the Lord himself. For lo, this is our God. His promises are made true and certain in all of our most difficult circumstances. And they are a blessing to us at all times. While yes, our spouses are a wonderful comfort. You know, my wife is the greatest comfort there is in this life. I'm sure many of us have the same experience in our homes. There is a far greater comfort 
there's a far more certain comfort that is in the word of God. And we see this manifest in this scripture. And we begin with verse 1 of Isaiah 25, where it says, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. This verse is the first words Isaiah speaks in the midst of this prophecy, which is predicting the destruction of Moab. In this verse, Isaiah is confident to say, plain and simple, Thou art my God, O Lord, meaning the Lord of all, the one who reigns supreme, who has ownership over all things, is his God, his ruler, his master, the one who has power over his life. And that God he will exalt and praise because of the things he has done in the past, that his counsels of old are faithless and truth. He begins this prophecy reminding himself and everyone out there that indeed God has been good. And we can all say amen to that, that God has indeed been good to us and to his people throughout generations. And having said this, he goes on to exposit this incredible prophecy of the comfort of Christ that will come both in the moment of this trial in Moab, that will also be fulfilled in Christ himself and will ultimately be fulfilled when he comes a second time. I want to look at that together to see the way that these prophecies have manifestations both in the time of Isaiah, in the time of Christ, meaning today in this age where he dwells with us through the Spirit, and indeed will come in the age when Christ dwells with us physically in glory. I'll put it this way to you. There is a past reality, which is the plain meaning of this text. There is a present reality, which is the fulfillment in Christ, or the fulfillment that's begun, in a future reality to be fulfilled when Christ returns meaning a fulfillment that is complete. Now let us look at these promises and goodness. We begin with verse number six, if we can turn there in Isaiah 25, verse six. This is the prophecy of Isaiah saying, and in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wine on the lees, a feast of, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. Let's stop right there. This is a prophecy from Isaiah that the Lord on his mountain in Zion will make unto all people a feast. This would be true, of course, in the time of Isaiah where there would be peace, there'd be goodness and kindness coming to them at that time with the Moabites being destroyed. But indeed, it's also true now for us in Christ, isn't it? We look at Luke 14, verses 16 and 17, where the word of God reads, Then he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper, and bade many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. In the time of Christ, it was true that there is a great supper made to any who should come, a great union and communion with Christ available to anyone who should call on him that we, each one of us, have when we believe in him. There is that sense in which the Lord comes to us when we believe by faith. He communes with us, he comes into us, and he is with us through the Spirit of God. We see this in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 20, in the letter to the Laodiceans, 
where the Lord himself says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. This is a promise we've come to see fulfilled now in people of all nations, all races, and all belief systems who've come to this Lord of ours, who's opened the door, each one of us, allowed him to come in, and he's supped with us, sat down with us at the table, and is with us even now. Look around the room for a moment, look and see people of all nations, all beliefs, and all creeds, there together for the sake of Christ. And where is this manifest tangibly in our congregation with the Lord's Supper? When we come together as a people before the table of God, and we know when two or three are gathered together, there is he in our midst. So when we together gather and sup as people of God over the elements, is he not with us as well? Is this not fulfilled in our time today that there is a supper where we eat and we feast and we commune with our God? because of what Christ has done for us, that each one of us, redeemed in Christ, has access to this fellowship that was once so far off because of our sin. But is this the complete fulfillment? The answer is no. There's more yet to come. And the Word of God reads very clearly in Revelation verse, chapter 19, verses 7 through 9, saying, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife has made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints and he saith unto me right blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb and he saith unto me these are the true sayings of god it is true for us my friends that there is coming a feast where in the flesh we'll sit down with christ face to face. We'll see him as he is. We'll be able to touch the hem physically of the one who we've prayed for all these years. So when we face trials, we face uncertainty, we face fear, can we look to Christ and say he's coming to fellowship with us? He's coming to fellowship with this people around you right now, and indeed we will fellowship with him soon in that supper, and we'll be with him face to face as he is. Is this not a reason to rejoice today? You know, this is a prophecy that's fulfilled in part now and yet to be fulfilled greater in the future, but it is regardless a reason to rejoice in the Lord today. He is indeed called people of every nation to come and feast with him. And we, each one of us, have received of his bounty even today. We also see in verse 7, it says, he will destroy in this mountain. This is Mount Zion. The face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations. This prophecy, of course, was fulfilled in that time when the destruction of Moab would show forth the glory of God to all people. But at the very same time to us today, this is a promise fulfilled in the work of Christ. Which one of us cannot say, that the blood of Christ took away the veil from our eyes, took off the covering, the attack of the enemy that would have deceived us for all eternity had it not been for the goodness of Christ. We see this written specifically in 
Second Corinthians 3, verse 14, it says, But their minds were blinded, for until this day, referring to the Jews, remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. The veil that would have blinded them, that would have kept them from the Lord, is now taken away in Christ. The veil which would have kept us from seeing him for who he is, his glory and his salvation of our Redeemer, was taken away in Christ. No longer are we deceived by the evil one. The book of Revelation tells us that the devil is bound and he's no longer to deceive the nations until Christ comes. This is our promise and our comfort. That there is a veil taken away from us even this day we might see Christ as he is. The book of Hebrews tells us that he's gone beyond the veil for us. That he speaks to us from within the veil. We have no more barrier between us and God. People from heathen nations have no barrier from the God of gods, the God of Israel. Because of this work, we're on the mountain of Zion. On that spiritual Mount Zion where we come to fellowship with Christ. He's removed the covering over all people what a glorious truth it is and again it's only partly fulfilled for we see in first corinthians 13 12 a prophecy of what's to come where paul writes for now we see through a glass darkly but then referring to glory face to face now i know in part but then shall i know even also as i am known what a glorious hope, my friends, that though the veil has been removed to some degree in redeeming us and keeping us from the blindness of sin, there is yet one more veil to be taken away. There's one more thing we're not seeing. The way the servant of Elisha was when he stood there and couldn't understand what to do against his armies, the Lord lifted his eyes and he saw the host of heaven. We will one day, very soon, see Christ face to face. We see darkly now, but we will know in full, will be known as we are known. We will see Christ in all his glory very, very soon. What a hope this is, my friends. A hope to have in these moments of difficulty and trial where things don't make sense, where you can't see beyond your own two hands to know that one day your vision will be given to see Christ as he is. Have you ever thought about this? You pray to Christ every day as a Christian. You read his words, but you've never heard his voice, never seen his face. But one day, very soon, that voice that speaks through written words will speak into your ears. That glory that you perceive in your heart as you read will be brightness to your eyes. That truth that he is real will become all the more real to the point where these hands now tainted with the flesh and sin, will touch the hands of our Savior in truth. Can we believe this today is my question? Because this is our hope. Indeed, we also see in verse 8, it says, He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people he shall take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. This truth, of course, is fulfilled with the destruction of Moab, where there will indeed be no more death in that land for that time. The Lord will comfort his people, wiping tears from their faces, remove their rebuke, and the Lord hath spoken it. 
but we know the fulfillment of these verses. They sound familiar to us because we have the New Testament, the New Covenant in Christ. We can rejoice in these truths. We see them fulfilled now in our lives. In the book of Hosea, chapter 13 and verse 14, where it says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction, saith the Lord. We see the promise fulfilled in Christ, that Christ will indeed ransom us from the power of the grave and redeem his people from death. And he says to death, O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. What a glorious truth that Christ has done for us. That he went down from his glory to this earth and died for our sins. That he looked death in the face and said, I will be your plagues, I will be your destruction, and destroyed death itself for our sake. That anyone who believes in Christ will not die, but have everlasting life. What a glorious truth this is. I want to take a moment right now. I want to show you something incredible. The book of Revelation, if we can turn there for a moment. Book of Revelation to chapter 1. This is perhaps my favorite verse in all of scripture. And I want to share it with you. It says in verse 17 of Revelation chapter 1. This is John speaking. Having seen the glory of Christ. In his glorified state. It says in verse 17. When I saw him. I fell his feet as dead. Stop for a second. He's saying that he fell as if he was a dead man. It reminds us of Isaiah 6. When Isaiah fell before the Lord. And said I'm undone. That I'm dead. I, I have no standing before God. But look what Christ says in Revelation 1 verse 17. It says, and he laid his right hand upon me. Saying unto me, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. To any Christian who fears death and destruction, who fears the enemy, look at this truth. Paul, John fell as if dead in front of Christ, but that right hand of power that destroyed death itself, that created the universe, that hand of Christ, reached down and touched John and said, fear not. Why would he not fear? It says, because I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive evermore. Amen. And here it is and have the keys of hell and of death. Christ has purchased the keys to hell and death that no one, not one of his own, would perish. What glorious truth this is for us, that Christ has bought for us this victory over death itself. We see this in Hebrews 2 and verse 14, where it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also likewise took part of the same, that through death, Christ, he might restore, destroy him that hath the power of death, which is the devil. That Christ's death destroyed that one who had the power of death, the devil himself. It's not only a victory over death, but the devil as well. This is the promise we have in Christ, that he is indeed, in our lives today, won the victory over death, and won the victory over the enemy, that we can be free in Christ to rejoice. What are we afraid of? 
what can possibly come unto us that would cause us to sorrow when we know that death itself is victory for us? And indeed, it's not just true in this life. It's true yet to come as well. As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 54, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruptible, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Meaning when we finally put off the heaviness of sin, this body of death that Paul spoke about in Romans, when we finally come to put on immortality and live forever with Christ, sin will be gone, the tears will be gone, all of it will be over, and then we'll see the true fulfillment in its fullness, that death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. It's coming, my friends. This day is coming for us. We also see in verse 8 of Isaiah 25, it says, the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. We see this to be true even now, don't we? The comfort of God in our sorrows. The comfort of God in the many trials that we face. In fact, Christ says it himself in John 16, verse 33. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. As a general and true statement, Christ himself has overcome the world, so we are to be of good cheer. But we may cry for a moment. Joy comes in the morning because Christ himself is our overcomer. He's won a victory over the troubles and trials of this world, so we are to be of good cheer, are we not? And 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4 say, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. This is three times in two verses in the present tense, that he is the God of all comfort, that comforteth us now in our tribulations, and by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are currently comforted of God. Can we rejoice right now? Though the tears are not over yet, though sin's not gone yet, there is a truth in which he wipes our tears away. His comfort is there at our right hand. Even in the darkest of trials in our lives, there is consolation from our Lord. Because he's overcome the world. His truth is a reason to be comforted in all of our tribulations and to share this comfort with others. Isn't it? But of course, this comfort will come to greater fruition. And we see this in Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. This is coming, my friends, when we will be with him face to face. And the presence and beauty and comfort of seeing our Redeemer will cause there to be no more tears in our eyes. But you may ask me a question. Why would we be wiping away tears in glory? Well, the reason is there'll be tears of joy. To see him who we long for and hope for, this entire life full of trouble. We'll see him 
and nothing but tears of joy will come from our face. And even those tears, our Lord will embrace us and wipe each one away. For he is our joy, our reason to rejoice in the beauty of our lives. So I have hope, my friends, this is coming for all of us. And we see in verse 9, the summary of our response to these truths. How should we respond to these things? In verse 9 of Isaiah 25, he says, And it shall be in that it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is our cry today, my friends. When it says it shall be said in that day, this is the day of his visitation, both to us today and the day to come. And at that time for Isaiah, we have a reason today to proclaim his glory. It shall be said in that day. We as his people must say it. We need to be speaking the goodness of God, glorifying him with joy. Because here it is, lo, behold, this is our God. Is this not our God who wipes away tears from our faces, who comforts us, who's overcome the grave, who's taken away the veil, who's brought us to sup with him and to feast with him today? Is this not our God? Christian, is, he is your God. He wasn't always your God, but he is your God now. Can we understand this truth that many of us walked in sin? Many of us lived far from Christ for many, many years. But now, because of the mercy and grace of God, foreordained before the foundation of the earth, where Christ loved us with an everlasting love, he's now made this love manifest through the death of his son for redemption in that moment. You remember when he came to you and was real for the first time. And today, in this life, in the midst of trials and tribulations and enemies surrounding us, we can look to him and say to the world, behold, this is my God. Despite our weakness, despite our failures, despite the fact that we are miserable, miserable saints, we are nonetheless saints and kings and priests and a priesthood unto Christ in this world. And lo, this is my God and your God. And he is personal to each one of us. His word says, we have waited for him, and he will save us. Is this not true, my friends? We've waited on Christ. We've waited so long, it seems, for years and years and years for him to come. It's now been almost over 2,000 years since Christ walked on this earth. And yet we still wait. But we know that a 1,000 years is as one day unto the Lord, and he is not slack in his promise. But we still wait. We hope for him in this day because we know he will indeed save us one day coming soon. When the word of God tells us we waited for him, I want to encourage you with a verse from Romans 5, verses 2 through 5, where it says, By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also knowing the tribulation worketh patience. And patience, experience, and experience, hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts 
by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Can we rejoice in this, my friends, that this hope we have will not make us ashamed. Though we wait for him and we hope for him and we wait and we hope and we wait and we hope through the many trials of this life, this hope will not ever put us to shame. The word reads in the Psalms that he has never, ever forsaken one who has put his trust in him. Do we believe this? You know, recently in my life, the Lord showed me a difficult providence to walk in. And that verse comforted me to know that he will not forsake the one whose trust is in him. Can you believe that today? That this hope that you have in Christ, whether it's for your loved one to be saved, whether it's for your own salvation and him to come soon, whatever hope you may have is according to his word, that hope will not make you ashamed. He will not forsake you. He will not leave this promise unfulfilled. He is God and his word is set in the heavens. And we in Christ are set in heavenly places. Are we not? He will save us, and we have as a deposit even this day this comfort and truth that we see in the Word. It says that He set us in heavenly places, meaning our anchor is in the heavens. Our destination is there. Our future is set. The last chapter in the novel that is your life is already written in glory with Christ. Can you believe that? So what of the rest of the pages? What of the trials in chapter 5, 6, and 7 when the last one says glory with Christ forever? We read in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 9 through 11, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. This is our hope and our joy, my friends, that not only today but forever we have Christ. Apologize for that. Uh, my computer just went crazy. I, I, my sincere apologies. Uh, so going back to this truth, it says, comfort yourselves together and edify one another as you also do. Um, and I just want to read the very last part of the verse. We're reading verse 9 where it says, 
that this is the Lord. We have waited for him. We have waited for him. And it says we will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So my question to you is, are you waiting for the Lord today? Are you waiting for him? That he will, at the end of the day, bring to conclusion all these troubles we face. That we will indeed be glad and rejoice in this salvation tomorrow. Thank you. God bless you all. Brother Daniel, we thought uh, we just saw Enoch taken up to heaven for a moment there. All kidding aside, praise the Lord. We have an eternal hope, an eternal hope in Christ. And what a gospel we have. We have none other, there's no other message like this that man can hear except for Jesus Christ. So we have this wonderful eternal hope. Praise the Lord, and uh, we trust that each and every one here encouraged to hear that uh, message this night. And we'll have our final hymn this evening, hymn number 69, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And in heaven there will be plenty of voices singing the Lord's praises. So let us practice that singing now and we'll turn we'll stand hymn 69 <laughs> Thank you, Lord, for the truth that thou art indeed our hope. 
And I pray, Lord God, there would be comfort and joy in that presence today for every one of us who are in Christ. I pray, Lord, for any who have walked in this place deceived, thinking that there is hope outside of you, Lord, that they might be rebuked, they might be comfort, like stricken to the heart that they need to turn to Christ in this very moment. For, Lord, there is no other hope than Christ. But what a hope he is. What a joy he is. What a wonderful name there is at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. And so I pray, Lord God, that you be exalted both in this night as we go home to our houses, Lord God, and as we go into the week ahead of us, that Christ might be our stay and our hope and that the things of this world will not distract us from the things which are above. Lord, your word tells us to set our eyes upon heavenly things. And Lord God, I pray that we would see thee in everything we do and rejoice in the hope that we will indeed see thee, Lord God, face to face in due time. Come, Lord Jesus, come, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.